Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 25, and we're looking at the whole of it. It's a trio of parables. So as we get started, the first thing we're going to do is listen to the entire chapter, read as a whole. Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamp and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will be not not enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five bags of silver, to another two, to another one, to each according to their ability, and then he went away. The one who had received five bags went off at once and traded with them and made five more. In the same way, the one who had the two bags made two more. But the one who had received the one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five bags came forward, bringing five more and saying, Master, you handed to me five bags of silver. See, I have made five more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Let's celebrate together. And the one with the two bags came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two bags of silver. And see, I have made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and let's celebrate together. Then the one who had received the one bag of silver came also forward and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your money in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew, didn't you, that I reap where I don't sow and gather where I don't scatter? You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. On my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. Take the bag away from him and give it to the one with the ten. For all who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless servant, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? 
And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are five questions I think are raised by this trio of parables, and we're going to look at each in turn together. So first, what elements of the culture of the day do we need to know here? As Jesus told these parables to his Jewish audience, each event would have been common enough for them to understand. Wedding processionals, entrusting servants and then departing, and separating flocks at the end of the feeding. Wedding processionals were often nighttime events, and the groom would make many stops along the way. Then the relational value of not rushing, plus the value at the time of showing respect for the bride by negotiating for her, those would often result in delays. This was common. And so the theme of readiness comes through here. And the ones who are ready are wise. The ones who are not prepared are foolish. And you might remember a few weeks ago that we looked at the theme of wisdom a little bit, where wisdom is about life. To be wise is to be part of life-giving practices, most of all, the life of being with God and part of the kingdom, the reformed people who are ready to receive Jesus the Messiah. Now for the second parable, entrusting servants and departing would also be familiar enough as a situation, a pretty common way also to describe God and Israel in other kinds of stories. Israel has been entrusted, you see, with both the Torah and the temple. These would have been the bags of silver or the talents, depending on your biblical translation. That would have been the talents Jesus' hearers thought of. The law and the temple were resources that allowed them to be God's people. Whereas, and Curtis mentioned this before, they might have been thinking at the time and sort of struggling with the idea that we can't be God's people under Roman occupation. Jesus is critiquing. Were they to invest, so to speak, In these two things, there could be a lot of life there, but they don't invest. They rather sit on what they have. And then our third and final parable uses another familiar event, sorting sheep and goats at the end of grazing. You see, I learned this week that sheep and goats don't look all that different while they're out amongst one another grazing. Goat tails go up, sheep tails flop down, but it's important to sort them, you see, because goats aren't really fluffy enough to survive the night. If it gets cold, the lack of fluff is going to come back and really hurt them. And so they need to be sorted out together and cared for in a different sort of way because they're not as durable as fluffy sheep. So Jesus takes that experience and says, the kingdom will be like that. Everyone's been out and about, living their life, mixed up together. But there is a sorting of those who've been part of the kingdom away from those who've not. Question two, does everything in this parable have to have a meaning? Is it allegory? The short answer is no. 
When we read parables, any of them, we don't need to assign meanings one-to-one for every single element, character, or event. The imagery, the metaphors, and the stories, they are intentional, but they're not in that way allegory. And so this chapter is last in a whole section of teaching. Each teaching is like threads that Matthew wants to weave together as the editor of this gospel. In all likelihood, Jesus said these kinds of things more than once over the course of the years. It wasn't just that Jesus said it one time and thank goodness someone was there to capture it. This would have been part of a family of Jesus's teachings, which means that Matthew as an editor has intentionally chosen to link them so that he can point to something true about Israel. Will Israel be wise? Will they walk on the path that leads to life, receive their Messiah, join in the new kingdom that continues and yet redefines God's people? Or will Israel be foolish? The bridesmaids, the servants, and the flock, they're all Israel, either being wise or foolish, and finding either life or death, so to speak, because of it. And the wise are the ready, and to be ready is to be wise. Ready for what? Ready to join in. Ready to participate. Now, jumping in may or may not come easily for you. In a social gathering, which is a thing we used to do about a year ago, where there was a group, there would always be someone who just can't stand the group activities. I roll. No thanks. I'll sit out. But if you sit out, you're sitting out. You aren't part of it. Why do we need to be ready? Because it's here. It's happening. The game is being played. The kingdom of God has come. The wise are ready to play. Question three. What about the foolish then? The goats, the unprepared bridesmaids. What about the folks on the sidelines sitting out? Does the imagery of weeping and gnashing of teeth or eternal punishment require us to see after death for non-Jesus followers as punishment forever? what is sometimes called eternal conscious torment. Well, first, I'm glad you asked, and I'm pleased to tell you that Curtis is going to be pulling together a deeper dive into all things hell in the afterlife for a future podcast episode. Or maybe not all things, but at least some significant things that help us think about this further. But in the meantime, consider, if these are metaphors, images, and stories, why must just these hard parts be literal? They don't need to be, is the answer. I do think they challenge the notion of universalism. Jesus is pretty clear in Matthew and elsewhere that there is a real judgment coming upon the things and people that are counter to the goodness and justice and life of the kingdom of God. But I don't think they describe a literal experience for those who opt out of participating. Just one, for instance, here. We believe that God is the source of life. God gives life and sustains it. If people choose to opt out of the kingdom, If they don't want God or the life God gives, then they don't experience the life God offers. And so if at the end of everything, we are separated from the source of life, where would our life come from? Humans don't possess life in and of ourselves. We get it from God. And so when we die, we're just dead. And we've said a lot of times, including our journey through Jeremiah as a group, There's a reality that when you walk a path, it leads where it leads. And so while God has gifted each person life, if they choose to spend their life on a path that walks away from God, then when death comes and they separate from God, the source of life, why would they somehow continue on? They've chosen no life. That's the path and it leads where it leads. 
Question number four, and this is where we'll end with our focus here. Christians talk a lot about being saved by grace, that we don't earn our salvation through what we do, but rather receive it as a free gift from God through Jesus. But this seems to suggest that what the sheep did mattered. So what gives? First, about what grace is. Sometimes people think grace is getting to sit out, but still be the beneficiaries of the kingdom. The sleepy bridesmaids, the servant who buried the bag of silver, the goats, they would all decry the lack of grace for their situation. Grace is not the ability to live outside of the kingdom and still reap its benefits. Grace is the ability to always join into the kingdom anytime, no matter what you were doing before. Getting to participate is grace. The open invitation is grace. The type of life we experience when we live this way is grace. The fact that participation is not even a little bit about perfection is grace. Even letting those who choose a different path and opt out have their choice respected is grace. Participation is grace. We get caught up with the question of arriving at the end in the right place. But the biblical story invites us to think more about participation than destination. Think, for example, about two different kinds of arrivals. One is the arrival you have when your flight lands at the airport. Again, flying on airplanes, a thing we used to do. And then your plane would land and you would have arrived there. But there's another type of arrival. Think about arriving at a championship. The state finals for the band, CIF for the team. In both cases, a group arrives somewhere. And yet they're very different. A passenger arrives in a new city by flying and others on the flight are irrelevant. They don't participate in their flight, really, save getting their ticket and showing up. But a team or a band arrives at a championship and they get there by playing. And playing together matters. They became a winning group as they played together. Participation formed them. The story of the Bible is one where participation is grace. And the goal is to arrive having become a member of God's family, part of the team, a player in the band. So let's be clear. The writers of the Bible, as they received an experience of life with God and wrote it for us, they expect us to participate in the group activities. As they recount and interpret and represent God's story, they expect us to do things, say things, join things. They expect us to have certain conversations, do certain things with our resources, let certain priorities influence our decisions. When the earth is empty, you fill it. When the flood is coming, you build a boat. When a bush is burning, you check it out. When the walls are standing, you blow the horns. When a prophet says, be baptized, you get in the water. When a rabbi says, follow me, you drop your nets. When the women say that same rabbi is not dead anymore, you head to Galilee like you were told to do. And when that living Messiah says, go and teach everyone to live this way, then you invite people to sit down at the table for the Lord's Supper and hear the story of God reforming the people to include even the Gentiles, to include the world so that the world would be full of goodness, joy, healing, and life. Think back to this trio of parables for today. One thing we see is participation. The bridesmaids who come with extra oil are prepared to participate. The servants who invest are participating in maximizing what they've been given. And in both, Jesus affirms their wisdom. They're doing the things that lead to life. For us now, we might say 
that being a bridesmaid is a lot like how we practice being open to what God is doing, ready to say yes. We too can be prepared to participate when God arrives, not at the end of time, but simply in our lives, among our church. In the parable of the talents, the wise are participating in this new family God's forming in Jesus. They're participating in this new kingdom arriving among us. They're participating in the restoration of Israel, not through the temple, but through the Messiah, Jesus. And while folks then would consider the legacy of the Torah and the special place of the temple as the talents, as the gift of resource, I think we too could consider the gifts we've been given that invited us to participate in this kingdom life, the Bible, a group to follow Jesus with, Christian practices, and also probably people. There are a few names and faces that come to mind, people whose love for Jesus was a gift to us, that invited us to think about participating in new ways, that helped us know and love Jesus more. More explicitly, of course, the sheep participate in the care for the least of these. The goats were out there hanging out, but they weren't participating. What Matthew saw was a kingdom formed by participation. And notably absent in this parable, which doesn't make it unimportant, but nevertheless, absent are the temple activities. Instead, the hungry receive food. The thirsty receive something to drink. The stranger is welcomed. The naked receive clothing. The sick receive care. The prisoner is visited. And since Matthew, too, would have been inclined to think participation, not destination, he would have thought, this is what leads to life. Not just for the recipients, but for the sheep, the actors. Everyone is experiencing grace. And it happens because the team gets on the court and plays the game. The instruments get pulled out and played. Participation in it is grace for everyone. I said there were five questions raised by the passages today. The fifth one is for you. In what ways are you already participating in this kingdom? There's the list that comes from Matthew 25 about feeding the hungry and giving a drink to the thirsty, clothing those who need it, visiting and caring for those who need it. There's also a list provided by Glenn Stassen as he does his work in a book called Kingdom Ethics that includes things like deliverance, righteousness and justice, peace, joy, healing, and a return from exile or a community flourishing. As you consider those lists of examples, markers of the kingdom, and you think about everyday areas of your life, in what ways are you already participating? You might also consider, do any people come to mind as you reflect on those various markers of the kingdom? either because their participation inspires and encourages you, or perhaps because they are someone that you should invite in. Do you see any gaps or opportunities to engage more fully in kingdom life? And what might that look like for you? As you consider where you're already participating in the kingdom, may you have encouragement from God to stay faithful and carry on, to protect those practices that are giving life. As you sense opportunities to engage further, may you have the courage of God to take those actions, to say those words, to invite that person, and to sense that God is pleased with your faithfulness in those new acts as well. May our triune God encourage you to lean into the kingdom's reality all the more.
May you find this week that you're able to get in the game, to join the band, to be part of the song of life that God is singing over the world. Amen.